check one two, check one two, normal voice stuff, check one two. Yeah, bunch of voice things. Mm. I am uh I am the vape commander. <laughs> I am the vape commander. <laughs> Nobody respects the vape like me. <laughs> I like to take my vape, get my little nose in it, you little fuck. <laughs> <laughs> before like they shoot like the news or like a live show they go um they go okay last looks do you know what that do you know what that means yeah with us it's like okay last vapes the implication being that i'm not to vape during the episode okay everyone last vapes <laughs> looking good and three two Hello, everyone. Welcome to the motherfucking Movie Blues Podcast, baby! Woo! I'm Dan Lyons. Dan Ended. Um, And today, we're going to <laughs> do something that we've been promising for many seasons now. Isn't that right, Dan? That's right. Um, when this podcast... And by that, you mean promising me. Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> it's all about Dan fulfillment. Uh, I'm not going to say which one, but uh, it's Dan Enden. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, since this podcast began with our lowly second episode, which was Yoga Hosers, another mm -hmm. classic Kevin Smith jaunt. And moving all the way through to the season two premiere. Yes, of uh, James a movie Tyler that Bob I, I'd like to forget never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it never did. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess this is technically our third uh, Kevin Smith film yeah. that we're directly reviewing on the podcast. We have arcs. Yeah, <laughs> right. For anybody that's uh, getting into the drama of the podcast, today is a big day. Um, so for many years on the podcast, I've confused two movies with each other many times. Those movies are Gigli and Jer Jersey Girl. I don't right? see is how that? you could have possibly confused them. <laughs> I could barely even just say them. So that's <laughs> <laughs> um, Gigli and Jersey Girl yeah. um, are two films that came out kind of in and around the same period of time. Um, when our boy Ben Affleck was at his the height of his powers, yeah. <laughs> if, if you will, um, yeah. and um, he had just gone blind. So, <laughs> so God, I want to do that movie so bad too, uh, Daredevil. That movie's terrible. Uh, so um, we're going to take a look today at uh, Gigli and Jersey Girl, and um, one of those films is a Kevin Smith film. If you haven't figured it out, that is Jersey Girl, um, and. The last thing I kind of want to cue up before we really get into it, um, in terms of the drama that's led to this, is really that I hate a lot of things. Um, Dan hates a lot of things. Sometimes I make Dan watch things that he hates, and, and vice versa. Um, this case is like quadrupling down on your boy Lions. Um, this is a romantic comedy, which I've made quite clear I am totally not okay with. Um, both films are romantic comedies. Both films star Ben Affleck, who I absolutely loathe as an actor, so that that was riding against me. Both films are made during a period of time where I have very little respect for the art that was being created, although I like it from a nostalgia point of view. I have no respect for it. Um, and lastly, anything to do with Kevin Smith, I'm pretty adverse to. <laughs> uh, this podcast... Maybe Dan thought at one point like he was going to be opening my eyes to the better part of Kevin Smith, but we've only done like his worst movies. I'm not really sure like what I'm supposed to glean from that, but I'm trying. Um, and yeah, the only other time Dan has forced me to watch a romantic comedy for the podcast was Going the Distance. Episode uh, two, baby. Starring Justin Long. Um, in, in many ways, this episode is closest to a showdown as we've ever done again. It's really like, you told me I have to watch Jersey Girl. I was like, only if we watch Sheely. <laughs> it was kind of a and or situation. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and yeah, so here we are. We have much like both. much like Ben Affleck. I'm gonna have to insist that you you do the soft G. It's it's, it's Gili. It rhymes with really. Gili. Yeah. And it rhymes with really. Yeah. I'm most glad to know that this whole time I've been pronouncing it right. Um, like when I turned it on, Rachel and I sat down to watch it, and she was like Jiggly. <laughs> she was like we're watching a movie called Jiggly, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Gili. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to see like the screenplay for this film and see how they emphasize the Gigli. Big assumption that this movie had a screenplay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, first we're going to determine today which of these films was better. I hate using the word better because this is like comparing like two things that never should be compared. Um, this is kind of like an apple and orange situation. I don't think that uh, Gili and Jersey Girl really have much in common besides the stuff we've already laid no, out. The but cast being the same. And and their place in film history is... Similar. Into, uh, intimately intertwined because yes. the, as I'm sure we'll get into, the success or failure commercially of Jersey Girl was intimately related to yes. what happened with Gili. Thankfully uh, for you guys, we do have a trash historian here today. Dan Enden has done the long con research on mm. the the stories behind these movies, how they intertwine. I only know that uh, these are two of the largest, most expensive nails uh, in Ben Affleck's coffin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say that one thing that did come up while watching these movies that was such a bizarre feeling for me was knowing that in hindsight Jennifer Lopez who is in both of these films and Ben Affleck um, broke up obviously we all know that huge hit to the world um, and thank god they're back together man. now they're back together yeah. which is like what a kismet moment I know of all um, the effort we've put into doing episodes that are topically relevant and failed <laughs> This, this. this one, the stars really aligned this for. This was totally by accident. I mean, I t after I'd already watched two of these movies, I texted Dan. I was like, you know J-Lo and Ben are back together? He was like, no fucking way! Yeah, I was like, <laughs> head explode emoji. I ran through the house. I was like, Benifer's back, baby! Um, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of had an effect on my viewing experience. There are a couple moments in Jersey Girl where I was like rooting for them. Dude. Um, There's moments in Geely where I was like, oh, these two are cute. Um, have, you, have you read anything about the current ongoings between Ben Affleck? Like in JLo? I mean, I know that they're like vacationing together. They're not like outwardly saying that they're together, but that like Ben Affleck during his last crumbling marriage slash stint in rehab for the 11th time was writing her like love notes and yeah. was all very cute. Maybe a copy of Geely was sent through the mail <laughs> via Netflix envelope. I all don't right. know. All right. So we're doing upfront historical yeah. facts here. Okay. All, all right. right. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Enden. And pause because I need to adjust my mic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with some history, Dan. I mean, I'm just talking about current history because I've been very emotionally invested in the resurgence of Jayla, of Benifer, if you will. Hmm. And wasn't aware that it had such a sterling effect on you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's you know, it's like fucking. We got burgers and fries. We got what? what like, what's another great pairing? Palestinians and liberals. Palestinians and liberals, <laughs> and we got. I swear, that's my, I swear that's my only one today. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> you get one too. It's okay. Okay, um, <laughs> we'll be even here. So J, J Lo right. just split up from A Rod. Yes. Which there's going to be a lot of um, situations where we have like a first initial followed by the first syllable of someone's Latino last name mm -hmm. in this story. Mm -hmm. So we got the, we got sorry Latin X. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're right. making me really uncomfortable. Yeah, there. so JLo and A Rod just split up. Their relationship has been very fascinating to me. All right, okay. Um, as someone who typically has zero interest in celebrity life, anything, mm. but has a huge interest in baseball, mm. and Alex Rodriguez is a very fucking interesting figure. There's mm -hmm. a great documentary on Netflix about A Rod's steroid use mm -hmm. that is hilarious. And I think it's relevant to this podcast because we're constantly talking about ego failures. Sure. And that guy is, like, the biggest ego failure in history. Granted, he's probably, like, the greatest shortstop that ever played baseball. Yeah. <laughs> but Granted, he has more money in his pocket than I'll make in my entire lifetime. Yeah, but he's also just, like, such a delusional, narcissistic prick. Sure. That the whole time we're watching the, uh, that documentary on A-Rod, I'm like, how, is, how does J-Lo 
of all people tolerate this person. Right. Like, there was a situation... Is a huge narcissist, too, though. Right, but you would think, like, she would just fucking... She, you can't have that many cooks in the kitchen, man. Like, exactly, that's why she's back with a beta simp, like, fucking Ben <laughs> Affleck. Dude, like, A-Rod recently, or like a year and a half ago... Um, there was a situation where he and J-Lo parked somewhere and his car got broken into and it turns out half a million dollars of jewelry got taken from his car. Okay. And she was just like, why are you carrying half a million dollars worth of jewelry in your car? <laughs> and he's just like, because that's how I am, baby. Hell yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> he just doesn't give a fuck because why would he? That's what's up. Well, maybe he should have given a little harder of a fuck about where his woman was at because <laughs> he done lost her. Yeah. So J-Lo bailed he on that. lost her to Batman. J-Lo bailed on that prick. <laughs> and to be at clear. At least when your girl leaves you, you could be like, oh, she left me for Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The best Batman there's ever been. Right. Yeah. I mean, that goes without saying thank you, Dan. Yeah. Um, Continue. So, A-Rod has... What does this have to do with anything? Is this coming around to something? Are we yeah. Around? Well, Are so, we circling around the moon? We're getting the gravitational yeah. pull right so now? So, I've been like, I wonder how A-Rod's handling this. Because the the uh, affleck Benefer stuff started, started trickling in. <laughs> And um, you he's know, like burning his copy of the Snyder Cut. Like, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's essentially what came out was that pretty much the second she moved out, she hightailed it right to Affleck's mm-hmm. fucking New England Before, vacation home. Allegedly, was getting ready to do it the whole time. Yeah, and just like imagine being J Lo, like yeah. someone of that stature, mm-hmm. and being like that guy with that back tattoo. That's I'm, what I need. I'm back to him. Yeah. Like, well, I feel like and, I just and picture J Lo like pegging. Ben Affleck and just staring at that fucking back tattoo. Correct me if I'm wrong here, too. Um, that Ben Affleck's tattoo since getting back together with JLo also works more for me. Because, like, he hath risen. He hath risen through the ashes. Yeah. He is the Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, um, talk about a the restoration comeback. of the Snyder Cut. I mean, that is, like, huge for my man. Um, yeah. Uh, he went from being portrayed as, as an embarrassing overweight, sad Batman full of Joss Whedon's jokes to all of those things with Zack Snyder's jokes. So that was a huge shift in the right direction. I mean, I've kind of developed this narrative in my head where, like, J-Lo watched the Snyder Cut and was like... (laughs) Was like... She was like... (laughs) Like a single tear went down her face. She was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Like, Alex... Yeah, it's over. I have something to tell you. Yeah. The emotional depth of the Snyder Cut has creamed my pussy in a way that you never have. (laughs) But what came out was that A-Rod was under the impression that they were just taking a break, and he was in the midst of planning. Oh, he took pictures with him and his kids sitting at the table with a place for Jennifer Lopez with food out for Yeah, yeah, he had been planning an elaborate reconciliation (laughs) dinner. Like taking a picture of a dog bowl full of food yeah. and being like, my spot has ran away. Yeah, <laughs> Does right. anyone know? So my fa- <laughs> I put his food out every night. <laughs> my favorite part of all of this is that A-Rod, this just like, it, who's in my head, the biggest egomaniac that exists uh-huh. in modern celebrity history, sure. just lost arguably like the biggest star woman that you could have mm-hmm. as your partner. To Ben fucking Affleck in the year 2021. Yeah. And he's just getting inundated by press, just harassing him every time he leaves anywhere. What do you think about Batman fucking your wife? What do you think about Batman fucking your wife? Did you see his initial, (laughs) his first response when the press finally found him? No. He just said, he said, go Yankees. As, as a dig at Ben Affleck and his Strong. fucking obsession with the Red Sox, That's and strong. like there was a whole issue on the set of uh, of Gone Girl uh, because the character wears a Yankees cap the entire time in the book. You've seen Gone Girl, right? Have we had this conversation? I have not seen Gone Girl. I've read Gone Girl. God damn! I really, uh, I really want you to see. Yeah, it. no, I'm going. It's on the list because and 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 just, now that Benefer's back, I think like I'm ready for it emotionally. Just one quick sentence about Gone Gone Girl, and then back to you. Just in the sense that. Gone Girl is finally the movie where a director was like, Ben Affleck works best when he's emasculated and made to look dumb. That's yeah. it. Not not like Geely where it's so absurd, but like almost, I think uh, Jersey Girl maybe got it a, like, a little bit closer where like you cannot seriously lean into Ben Affleck. But if you do so half ironically, yeah. and the man, I'll give it to him, terrible actor, but he has a good sense of himself. Totally. Even in these three movies that we watched, he's very self-deprecating. Oh, in yeah. all three of them. Um, so, uh, honestly, Gone Girl um, is is like one of the best a- auteurs of all time, taking one of the worst actors ever and being like, 
the things that are terrible about you can be they used work for this character. Yeah, can be yeah. used to explain how a man would be tricked so vehemently by a woman. Yeah. It, it's it's awesome. I mean, I mean, when I read Gone Girl, it was after the film had come out. My intention had been oh, to read it and okay. then watch the movie. Sure, as I am want to do. Yeah, and as I was reading, I was like, I could see Affleck in this role for sure. See, I you know I read it way before the movie. Okay, and I had a very different picture of Affleck, and then trailer came out for that movie and I was like I'm gonna hate this more than anything I've ever hated I mean this is like my favorite book of the year I do not like what I'm seeing here this is wrong and then watch it was like this is so right it makes so much fucking sense 100% see Gone Girl there's one miscast in it Neil Patrick Harris is in it don't really understand how he got into the role that he's in in that movie but um, other than that fantastic movie actually like prefer that over social network and some of the more praised Definitely better than uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but uh, it's up there in Fincher's work. I think everybody nice. should check yeah, it out. Yeah, I'm excited. But Affleck <laughs> almost got kicked off the picture because of this fucking Yankees hat situation was mm. so contentious. Doesn't he wear it in the... He wears it in the movie. No, he and the compromise was that he would wear a Mets hat. Oh, yeah. I, was, I remember him wearing a baseball yeah, hat multiple times. He was, like, he was like, I'll wear a hat of the New rivals yeah. of the Yankees. <laughs> as long as it's in because the Because he, sh- he apparently showed up to set wearing a Sox hat mm. and Fincher was just like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. the character's from North Jersey, the yeah. entire, it's like a pivotal part to his emotional Then you've only played 25 characters yeah. from New Jersey And he was point. basically like, hey, well, you know, my, my whole persona is based on me loving the Sox. Like, I'm the Boston guy. They'll crucify me. God damn, I hope that's what he sounds like in real life. And they, they were like, are you seriously gonna leave this movie over having to wear Yankees? <laughs> <laughs> and like I, you know, in that moment, I was like, I relate to Ben Affleck. Sure, we are all Ben Affleck. I would not wear a Yankees cap in a movie. Dan, do you have any more uh, sports-related thoughts that you'd like to share before we go into the movie critique? Are we talking about movies today? We are. We're talking about a bunch of movies. Okay. Uh, no, just I'm. I'm very. I feel personally. <laughs> In, in lifted by the resurgence of Benifer. I appreciate Same. that greatly. I'm looking forward to its dissolution. Absolutely. And Affleck's complete fucking downfall. <laughs> <laughs> His next gen rehab. Yeah. Okay, so. First up on today's docket is the film Jersey Girl. Um, this is directed by Kevin Smith. I'm assuming it was written probably in part by Kevin Smith. Yeah, and I believe this initially <laughs> came up because in the Yoga Hosers episode, I described Jersey Girl as delightful. As both delightful. I just want everyone to know Dan has called Jersey Girl delightful a hundred times yeah, to me. Delightful, so. and I believe it to be in his top tier of work. Top tier being top. I think in terms of films that he has made, like easily top five, for probably depending on the day, top three. Now, a lot of that does not has to do with other people who are involved in the making of the film rather than him. Okay. But in terms of like an actually composed film, this was the first time that I was like, oh, Kevin Smith can make like a movie. Okay. Um, That's an opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it was extremely unfairly maligned because sure. of the drama with Benefer and the excessive failure of Gili. And which was first, remind me? Gili came out in 2003. Okay. Um, Jersey Girl had already been in the can, but they completely okay. revamped the entire marketing scheme for Jersey Girl because of the failure of Gili. So, like, if you watch the trailers, J-Lo's not even in it. Like, there's no oh. indication that J-Lo... J-Lo is also in the movie for 10 minutes. That's also an editing thing that happened after <clears throat> the failure of Geely. Okay, so you're saying there's a world in which there was much more J-Lo footage. Yeah. So I shouldn't judge you hard. And I remember when, when I went to see Jersey Girl in the theaters, <clears throat> Yeah. and J-Lo's in the movie for five... Well, first when she shows up, I was like, wait, I thought Liv Tyler's the romantic lead in this. What is, what is, what is up with this J-Lo storyline? And then mm. she disappears, and I was just like all sorts of confused. And then I was confused that an hour later, Liv Tyler still wasn't in the movie. So right. that was confusing as well. Yes. Um, so this was the first time I've ever seen this movie. Um, I don't know what was happening with me at the time. I, I would assume this that... This is the first time you've seen Jersey Girl. Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, I mean, throughout I the podcast, you've maintained that you've seen it numerous but, times. But I, we're talking about when I was a pre-teen, I was probably 15, years old at my grandparents' house on HBO. I watched it. Gotcha. I did not know it was a Kevin Smith movie at the time, or I at least haven't remembered it as such. If you were to ask me, as we found out many times on the podcast, what is Jersey Girl about? Obviously, I was confusing it with Geely in the first place. So had you seen Geely? 
I had not seen Geely. Fantastic. A hundred percent had not seen Geely. Okay. Um, I have seen critiques uh, similar to our show about Geely. Right. But all I remembered from that is that the mom was funny, some other details, whatever. Um, it's just, it just the, the Jersey Girl is so historically lumped in with Geely. They sure. Are, one is never mentioned without the other. Yes. And... Whether you like Jersey Girl or not... And you find not, that to be unfair. I mean, whether you like Jersey Girl or not, I don't think there's any world where you can say these movies are in the same plane in terms of quality. No. Like, I 100% agree with you. And there, there's, like... There are, you know, whether you hate romantic comedies, whether you hate Affleck, to me, there are inarguably positive aspects to talk about with sure. Jersey Girl. Okay. There, there's value in that movie. Mm-hmm. That movie was made... When <clears throat> Kevin Smith had just had a daughter, and then his dad died. Don't care. And he wrote he wrote that film. Has no bearing on the film. Uh, I, 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 Knowing I, that him. is a, is like cheating. There's no. I don't take that into account whatsoever. I sat down as a movie critic. I watched a movie. Here's my review. Okay. It was fucking terrible. You think Jersey Girl was terrible? Jersey Girl was terrible. Okay. Um, I did not enjoy a single fucking minute of it. Um, I thought it was stilted, immature, stupid. Uh, I found all of the characters to be deeply unlikable. And granted, it begins on purpose, but Ben Affleck's arc to being not a douchebag in the last 15 minutes of the movie makes it so that an hour and 20 minutes of the movie is insufferable with him. Um, He is terrible in this movie. Uh, Just like all three of the movies we watched, he does musical theater and singing in it (laughs) um, to the worst degree. Um, This movie was everything that I hate about Kevin Smith. To me, this was... The the moment the rubber band snapped and Kevin Smith exposed himself as having no objective talent as a filmmaker. There were maybe movies before this where the cracks were showing. I would argue that Chasing Amy is a good movie. Like what you're saying about Jersey Girl where there are arguably aspects that are really good. I would say that about like Chasing Amy because I recently had to rewatch that for this podcast just as a general note. Kind of tacked it on to the last time we talked about Kevin. Um, that movie has some elements that <laughs> I need I, to talk about Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> this episode should definitely be called We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, this was the first time where you see Kevin Smith shifting into his sentimental phase. Expanding his rage. Which I absolutely hate. Let me list the movies in that category. Yoga Hosers, a movie about having a daughter being a teenage girl based on his experience. Terrible. This, a movie about having a daughter... Uh, in this movie, the relationship between father and daughter, as we'll get into, deeply harrowing, creepy, <laughs> absolutely bizarre, inappropriate, full of scenes that I cannot believe made it to print. Um, and um, it's just a matter of, like, we get it. We get it. I could read your uh, Wikipedia, Kevin. I know what you're going through in life per year, per movie that you made. I don't care. I have no interest in it. I, as is, I don't have interest in, for example, when the Snyder Cut came out, People saying, oh, well, you know, his daughter committed suicide, so, like, this is his vision. Like, blamer. Everyone, <laughs> everyone give him the accolades that he deserves. No! I take art as what it is. I try to separate it for the artist, unless things get pederasty and or super racist. Yeah. And in One this case... One could call Dan a film formalist. Now, now, look, let me, let me... Before I get into why Jersey Girl is as terrible as everyone's always said it is, and it deserves everything that it got, I will say that... It's very interesting to think about the order of which we watch these movies, okay? So (laughs) I want to lay out the order of which I watched mine. Okay. I watched it Jersey Girl first, then Gigli. Okay. I think that Jersey Girl would have done better with me if I would have watched Gigli first. Yeah. Because then I would be like... I watched Gigli... This is kind of the the Tenet uh, parable, where... If I watched it over two days versus you watched it over one day, how does that affect your overall experience? Totally. I would like to think that if I watched Geely first, maybe Jersey Girl would have felt like more of a relief. Yeah, because in the beginning, you went into it with your, like, I fucking hate Affleck, I hate romantic comedies. You had an inherent bias going mm-hmm. into Jersey Girl. Right. Whereas... Which still would have existed after Geely. Totally. But, like, after... After being punished like that, maybe. Yeah, there's sure. a there's a huge but relief that aspect. That again, though, that's not fair. That's bias. I mean, right. I, I'm just saying, I, this isn't a world which, like, maybe this had an effect. Right. Um, I'm here to tell you that, I mean, you could have shown me it anywhere. Uh, Jersey Girls, flawed beyond belief. Um, everything about it. I mean, look at it from uh, the normal filmmaking perspective, which you have to abandon to love Kevin Smith, um, which is the direction was poor, the writing was poor, the pacing was terribly poor, with Jennifer Lopez 
his uh, love interest disappearing in the first 10 minutes, his second love interest showing up 40 plus minutes later. Um, uh, it, it just, there were so many things about Jersey Girl that failed that I do not blame it for being the thing that sank the ship for Smith and for Ben Affleck. And I'm here to argue that if anything destroyed Kevin Smith's career for a temporary period of time, it was surely this movie and not Cop Out. I think that Cop Out, uh, if this was the nail in the coffin, Cop Out was the last shovel of dirt on top of the <laughs> gravesite. Um, so what did I hate about this movie? Um, uh, besides pretty much every element known to man, um, let's start with Ben Affleck. Um, his performance in Jersey Girl is terrible. Um, hard, hard disagree. I think it's one of Affleck's better performances. It's very, is, it's subtle and understated. He is as dislikable of a character as you could ever put into a movie, and that rancor that his character has isn't relieved until the last 15-20 minutes of the movie. Um, it left me with no one to be latched onto of an actor I already find to be self-serving and obnoxious playing a self-serving obnoxious person. Um, that's like doubling down. That's like, you know, uh, casting Carrot Top in a movie about redheads. I just like, <laughs> there's no stretch to be made. Like, I, I, I didn't feel like, I felt like all the genuine goodwill that Kevin Smith had in his career, um, he, he wasted on this movie. And it, it was so sentimental and so just cheesy, immature. It felt like it was written by a 15-year-old for a 13-year-old to watch. Um, mm. I found it a tremendous waste of time. I did not like any of the performances. Uh, even the little girl who was ADR'd through about 100% of the movie, I don't think a single line she delivered live on day. They were all pre-recorded. Um, she was questionable, and I, obviously that's been reflected because I don't think that girl had any kind of career after this either. Um, that girl recently was on The Voice <laughs> was she? Yeah. She's super hot now. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. She's cool. now um she's now um, a musical artist right. who's trying to pioneer a new genre called hip hop. Hip pop. Pop. Yes. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what what got me the most, Dan, and what, what bothers me the most about this and Yoga Hosers and all these later Kevin Smith movies is that the dude is standing with uh, both feet in, in two different pools. One pool is I'm sentimental, I'm this like at like Amblin era, tug at your heartstrings, love your family, appreciate what you have as you grow older type of guy. And then I'm the guy that's going to show poop on a baby's vagina in a movie. <laughs> I'm the guy who's going to make jokes about a daughter fu uh, fucking his dad. I'm going to make jokes about pop culture. I mean, and and all of them are going to date terribly. Um, I will say this movie had one successful joke in the entire runtime. That joke was based around Will Smith, yeah. one of the greatest cameo reveals ever. Yeah. Like. This movie, when you said there are things to like about this movie, for me, that's it. Okay. Other than that, uh, there are a hundred movies with the same plot as this. Um, they they nuked and neutered George Carlin, which I think is the biggest sin in the history of time. I'm sure you'll say like, it was a delightful older performance from him as he as he grew older and like started to look around like he did in his later career about the state of the world and blah blah blah. They cut his balls off in this movie. He was a retard old man <laughs> who had absolutely nothing to add, funny or otherwise, to the movie other than being a sentimental old character. So you take the greatest comedian of all time, you cut his jokes. You take the worst actor of all time, you double down on what. Made makes him bad. You take Jennifer Lopez, who's hot as fuck and arguably more talented than Ben, you throw her out of the movie, and then the only female character you have in the movie is Liv Tyler, and you inject all your stupid, fat, dumbass <laughs> ideas about yeah. women, about culture, about the way that women and men react into this character's head who doesn't talk like any woman yeah. Liv has Tyler ever talked is on surely, the face of the fucking earth. Liv Tyler is surely the mouthpiece this for Kevin in this movie. another immature, stupid, transparent, useless Kevin Smith movie should be buried into a fucking coffin, sent away for all time. Wow. Yeah. What did you think? I, I don't agree with almost any of that. Fair. I, I, <laughs> I love the dichotomy of Carlin being there and you expect him to be comedic relief and he's just not. He's just a yeah, crotchety, wow. depressed old man. Hilarious. And they surround him with Stephen Root, who is absolutely what? Wasted hilarious. in this movie. Hilarious. Wasted in this so movie. So funny. Probably one of the best actors on earth. Oh, yeah. And, and does absolutely nothing. His character is so funny to me. He is a Steve Buscemi type. <laughs> Just a guy who sits in the background and says something weird every once in a while, and that's it. Yeah, but like... His, he was his, so... Dan, he was so hilarious in this movie. It was one joke. 
No, he was making constant What did jokes. he say? There is the running theme of that he just makes these weird observations of things that, like, are so transparent to everybody, and he sees it as, like, an No, no, I said Stephen Root, not Kevin Smith. Yeah, Stephen Root. Got it. Is repeatedly just commentating on what's happening, and, like... No, I said Stephen Root, not Kevin Smith. Yeah, I understand. Okay, that. I'm sorry, God. Okay. And every time he makes a comment, everyone just looks at him like, you fucking moron. I, I think it's hilarious comedic relief. Mm. Well, like, I was in stitches. There, there's there's this, the scene at the end where Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck are dancing, and it cuts to Stephen Root, and you think there's going to be a joke, and he's just like, mm. he's, he's cutting a rug with the woman. I am under the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, that if I were to show you this movie, and you had never seen it, okay, and it was not a Kevin Smith joint, same exact movie, you would have hated it. I, th- I thought about that a lot. And I just... I it's really, impossible to know. Impossible. Yeah, totally. So whatever you're going to say here now, maybe fine, but I, I truly... Now, I know you like romantic comedies, so let's kind of pump the brakes a little right. bit. I think that you give romantic comedies a little bit of an edge up. Um, kind of like... This is such a reach, but like, kind of like with some of the blockbuster shit that I like, where I know that it, it's like not good, but I give it the relief that it deserves because it's just so expensive and I just don't care. Right. Um, I tend to give a lot of credit to romantic comedies that in any way skirt the formula of a romantic comedy. And I'd like to say that this did that, but nowhere near as successful as Going the Distance. Now, Going the Distance has nothing to do with this movie. The reason I bring it up is because of what you just said. The idea that you could skirt the idea of a romantic comedy, fine. Now, I would argue that this movie didn't really do that because while uh, there is a camp that might believe that beginning a movie with a pregnant wife who dies in childbirth, that's J-Lo's role in this movie, and then him moving on to Liv Tyler is some kind of like interesting turnaround on the situation, really isn't. If, if Jennifer Lopez was not in the movie, imagine that we got no scenes with her, and the movie started with Ben Affleck having already lost his job living in New Jersey, etc., the movie would have been a normal romantic comedy. It would have just been like, oh, a guy's like bouncing back from like... But not really, because the crux of the movie isn't the romantic relationship. It's about the relationship between him and his daughter. Yes. Sure. Oh, it's split like 80-20 maybe. Like 80 about the daughter, 20 about Liv Tyler. So yeah. Is it recording? Yeah. Um... Okay, so, you know, it's obvious that we're coming at it from two very different camps, two very different passions behind it. I walked into this movie full honesty here, hoping that it was going to be very bad and similar to Gigli. I will give you and concede that it is not. Uh, I said that from the get-go. And I went into this movie... But I I need you to wait until I talk about... Gigli for you to understand this opinion totally because because (laughs) there is an endless river of terrible analogies that I could dream up to compare what it's like to review (laughs) Gigli (laughs) Gigli against anything Dan Um, uh, and we're not going to do that yet but but I will give you that uh, here's what I'm going to give you it was a movie it was a movie it had acts yeah okay some other movies I watched for this episode did not it had Jason Biggs it had Jason Biggs. Just, by the way, if, if you haven't seen a movie where you have Jason Biggs not playing a funny character and Ben Affleck not playing a funny character interacting over and over again, <laughs> it's like a double white bread scenario where like I was watching it, I was looking at my skin and literally seeing the pigment lighten as, <laughs> as I was watching I it. Know. I was like, I felt like I was gaining energy from the sun from seeing, <laughs> from seeing those two on screen through osmosis. I liked, what, what I like about this movie is that... There are jokes. There, there are numerous times where, throughout the film where if I'm distracted enough, I forget the context of it. I forget that it's a Kevin Smith film. Right. On a lot of moments, it is just like a dumb date movie. Sure. Um, but then there are moments where there are jokes that are uncharacteristically subtle for Smith that I found very funny. Like, not funny where I'm, like, laughing out loud, where I'm like, oh, that's clever, and, like, actual screenwriting, instead of, like, here's a close-up of a character, like, telling a joke to the fucking camera. Right. Like, there's one moment, there's a, there's this underlying plot where they're, uh, the girl and Affleck have to perform a play 
together. Yes. Um, this is like one of the climax scene of the movie, basically. But there's this whole thing. There's this running joke where every one of her classmates is going to do a piece from Cats, whatever. There's this whole thing about Cats that's going through whatever. They decide, they land on Sweeney Todd. And um, the teacher at their Catholic school is introducing their Sweeney Todd piece. And she knows nothing about Sweeney Todd. And she introduces it saying, um, here's uh, Gertie and Oliver Trinke performing what I'm sorry. I... sorry. <clears throat> Let's pump the brakes for one second. Go okay. ahead and repeat for me the names of the characters in this movie written by an adult. Okay, so Affleck's character is Oliver Trinke. Ollie Trinke. Yeah, he goes by Ollie. Ollie Trinke. Um, J-Lo's character was Gertrude. Gertie. She goes by Gertie. <laughs> Got it. So, in turn, the the daughter's name is also Gertie. Double got it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I Continue. Don't, okay. So, she goes, uh, performing what I can only assume is, what I can only assume is a hymn, God, that's good. God, that's good being, like, the pinnacle introduction scene. Funny joke. Yeah. Are you saying this is a funny joke? Yeah, I'm saying that's Okay, a, okay, I enjoyed that I'm joke. I'm saying that's an uncharacteristically it's, funny joke for Smith. Sure. Yes, fine. <laughs> Where she said, yes. "What I, what I can only assume is a hymn." God, that's good. And that's then they not per- funny though. It's then they perform a show. It's a, clever. A, a scene best. in which dudes are getting their throats slit. Uh, and, be, and hold on, just on the topic of funny jokes, I f- found Carlin's one hilarious line in the movie to be. Um, they're like they're a bunch of what the fuck is their job? They like work on water mains or something. Like Car- Carlin's performance in this movie is like watching him in a Life Alert commercial. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But they're all like he's like, have you ever felt sad? They're all like <laughs> they're all like union construction water main workers, and it comes out that they're gonna have to shut down a street to replace a water main. And he's like going on about how the town's gonna crucify them. And he's like. You don't know what it's like to talk to this town about shutting down a street. They're going to crucify us upside down. And Stephen Root's character is like, 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 uh, like St. Peter. And the, dude, Carlin looks at him with such malice and goes, who are you, the holy fucking father? Everyone knew I meant St. Peter. I don't need you to explain my shit. Yeah, Kevin Smith making jokes about religion. Yeah, I was in with stitches. George Carlin. Yeah, classic. Classic. Classic Smith. Um, speaking of classic Smith, I do want to get to, uh, before we leave the play real quick, I want to get to just one thing about that play that drove me fucking I, oh, insane. I, I have another thing about the play we have to talk about for you. We, <laughs> there's this thing in movies that happens every once in a while where, like, just like reality stops. They just kind of pump the brake on things being real um, in movies where you're supposed to believe that everything's real. Uh, for me, that moment was watching a child at a talent show somehow have a 16-piece set that was wheeled in for one song because every kid got to do a song and so it was like a kid went up and he was like happy birthday and like another kid went up and sang like a one song and then a little girl came up had six actors with her had a fully constructed set costumes makeup you're talking about the kid yeah 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 Sweeney Todd well, the, there, the, there the were scenes where it moved. showed them building the sets they're all construction I'm aware, I'm aware of that but like you can't walk into a child's talent show with two full size wooden <laughs> buildings Dan um, explain absolutely nothing and having a multi-adult cast to back you up fully practiced like you can like there's a world in which maybe you could you talk to the people beforehand you're like listen uh, I know it's a huge insurance thing we have people literally <laughs> swinging off of wooden buildings uh, during my child's one song talent show performance um, but in the in the spectrum of reality uh, it was just so stupid and not only that because this is a poorly made film such a useless arbitrary thing to complain about <laughs> um, because this is a poorly made film um, they ADR every single singing line of, of everything in this scene as well so you have what looks like a three times s- a six-person cast ADR'd lip-syncing to a show tune, which I could spend an hour on how bizarre and just weird it was to pick the show tune that they did. I know that it's almost sort of the point, but also it, it's not. And it was if a person walks into Jersey Girl not having seen Sweeney Todd at all, um, I was kind of looking at it at that lens, and it made absolutely and no sense. And that was me the first time I saw it, and it. Right. In turn, led to me the following year going to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Masturbating the whole time in the audience. I know, Dan. Yeah, it was great. a hundred times. Yeah. Um, I just fucking came. Yeah, again, um, it's a child's talent show. She's how old? Like seven. And she came in with full production, with people in makeup, full costumes. Like, no one asked a single question about it. It's just, it's yeah, stupid. It's and again, crushing. it's from a writer who does not understand reality beyond his own rich 
privileged existence where he gets to sit around with his daughter and read her comic books all day instead of making good movies. And Speaking somehow, of which, I thought you would have appreciated in that play. She was in it. Yeah, did you, you call it the Harley Quinn spotting? Uh, I didn't call it. Um, I let my hands do the talking, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, that's fucked up because she's like four in this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kevin Smith's wife and child was in this movie. What a tremendous fucking shock once again, Dan. <laughs> this was the second Smith film to feature Harley Quinn Smith. Um, yeah, I mean, cool, that's great, but she's four, so it didn't really get me going, um, <laughs> uh, even with my predictive powers, but, um, <laughs> shout out, uh, Evan, Rachel Wood, and Simone, um, and, um, yikes. Yeah, speaking of yipes, can we do yipes real quick? Yeah. I want to do yipes. I want to tell you things that made me so, so uncomfortable about this movie. I cannot believe they were committed to film other than believe that it was a film directly produced by Harvey Weinstein. So Aside from the baby's vagina featured in the film? Uh, let's. I think I feel like the baby vagina is where we should start. Okay. Um, I am a person who... Uh, when babies are in films, which is very often, these days people don't really understand the struggle because most babies in films these days are digital, which is fucking wild, uh, especially in blockbusters and in action shows, things like that. They're I mean, they have digital. no range. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to the stream, baby! Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, okay, so first thing to make me wildly uncomfortable is when you shoot a baby in a movie, like, you don't have to show its private parts. I'm just gonna say that, right? It, this is gonna be a little uncomfortable. But you can. But you can. Like, you can. May, I, I would say these days it wouldn't fly. I think it was designed to make the viewer uncomfortable to illustrate Affleck's discomfort because this Damn. is the first time he's actually changing his baby's diaper. If you want to make me uncomfortable, show, don't tell. <laughs> That's what Kevin Smith thinks. He, he goes... I'm going to make the, the audience uncomfortable. I'm going to show them a real baby's vagina covered, covered in poop. Covered in shit, yeah. Covered in poop. Yeah. And it was real. So whatever they had used for the poop, it was not poop, obviously. It looked that, poopy. That was some kind of jelly. So obviously some PA had to smear fake poop on a baby's vagina yeah. at a Harvey Weinstein production film. <laughs> um, and um, uh, someone had to watch the daily. Someone had to edit it. Um, it was shown to millions of people. I don't think that's funny. I think that's super immature. I don't think that's something that I need to see in a movie that I'm supposed to take seriously where a woman dies in childbirth. I don't think that needs to be okay, there. Well, we can't all have your delicate sensibilities, Dan. It's not about delicate sensibilities. It's about maintaining any sense of tone. This movie goes from lighthearted and like this could be PG-13. This could almost be a regular romantic comedy. And then dips into these disgusting forays that feel deeply uncomfortable. I mean, I know maybe it could be just me. I'm sure like everyone has their own trigger level. I personally don't get a lot of pleasure out of watching Ben Affleck convince his daughter that they're on a date together. I think that's a fucking weird way to parent. I don't think that should be in a movie at all. And I think that Kevin this Smith... Is like, this is like your running weird thing with I, that. I, think that I, thought, Kevin, I thought that. I thought that. <laughs> I found that so charming. I think that Kevin Smith, who has a bizarre relationship with his own daughter... Um, not like sexual pervy, anything like that, but like, you know how he talks to her, you know how they interact with each other about drugs, about sex, things like that. I mean, it's very obvious in the way that he raised her. It's like more we of a We need to caveat this that, that Dan and I both come from loveless parenthoods. <laughs> Dan, Dan cannot fathom a father treating his child in such a charming, romantic way. Well, look, I just don't think it's... I, I, I think that it's something that Kevin Smith thinks makes sense, and I just don't think it, it, it is. Your little girl wants to, like feel like she has a dad not a boyfriend he literally takes her on a date which i found very weird she urinates in front of him in the movie which i found very weird she's flashing her vagina to another child in one of the first scenes of the movie something which, that surely happens in real life surely happens in real life but you're trying to maintain a tone there's no tone to this movie it goes from rated r and disgusting baby's vagina with poop on it to like the tone is like not knowing how to handle raising a daughter because he wasn't expecting that's to fine, have to all the things i'm listing here don't need to be in the movie for that to be portrayed i think that's hilarious and then it's it, not hilarious it was uncomfortable it was then weird. it leads to the subsequent it, it, it leads to a scene later with the scene with affleck sitting them both down and, like, you know, trying to intimidate the boy. I mean, like, what are your intentions with my daughter? Which leads to a hilarious that's, parallel scene that's later. That's funny. And I'm good with that. Okay? Because you have things in the movie that are funny and do work. It's like, not like they're showing the little girl's vagina. And that wasn't gross. It's not it's like wasn't they're showing the girl's vagina. No, but like. you're showing Ben Affleck walk in 
be three feet away from his daughter, staring, his eye line goes down, staring at his daughter's private parts, which she is flashing to another child. Like, yeah, you're fine. gonna have to deal with that someday. But this Dan. isn't this isn't happiness, Dan. This is supposed to be a delightful oh a, de oh a delightful romp, as you've described it. I didn't find that kind of shit delightful. And I found it really unfortunate and offensive. You don't think that a bunch of parents who watched that movie and had gone through similar situations saw that and were laughing their asses off? I'm sure they were. I thought it's, it's good, not good, for you. Good on them, but you can portray the same ideas without being as overly graphic and immature about it as he was. What, dad, what Dad's calling overly graphic is a shot in which it's implied that she lifts her skirt and then we see from behind... Affleck's point of view where he opens the door and sees the back of her. Yeah, as her you explain it, it's actually lift, more uncomfortable. Her lifting the front of her skirt. <laughs> yes. But her skirt's down to her fucking ankles. You don't see anything. He just walks in on a girl fucking revealing herself. They're exploring each other's private parts because they don't know what they are. Hilarious. Deli a, delightful, Dan. I, I thought I thought it was a charming it just, moment. Kevin Smith doesn't know how to balance these elements right. It's not the kind of movie for some things. It's not the kind of movie for others. And I understand why everyone hated it. I mean, I think you just have like a deep <laughs> it's discomfort. It's not a balanced movie. You have such a discomfort for any father-daughter relationship in any film. I mean, may, maybe you could extrapolate that. But these are outwardly graphic things that I guarantee you would not be in a studio movie it's like this. It's not graphic at all. That scene. I, th I thought that they're not that well, not fully that. And scene. then it leads to a hilarious joke where she's like getting getting the talk because she just saw a dick for the first time, and she asks Affleck like, "Do you have one of those?" And he's like, "I I do." And she's like, "Is it as big as Brian's?" And he's like, "Unfortunately, yes." Delightful, hilarious. Um, Bet Affleck shops for porn videos while his daughter's in the store with him. Found that disgusting. And they address it. Um, doesn't make it less disgusting or pointless or bizarre or immature <laughs> just didn't feel like this was a movie made by an adult for adults i okay. felt like it was a, an adult who pretends to be an adult making movie for kids who also pretend that they're adults and it just was like insulting to my intelligence to watch okay ggr <laughs> ggr interesting i'm gonna give this movie a two wow okay and that was a one but in talking to you, I've realized that there are some, I need to be fair that there are some bits that work, and I would say those bits are 20% of the movie. Someday, 10 years from now, you're gonna have a daughter and you're gonna watch this movie and be weeping. Yeah, I'm not gonna show my daughter this movie, so maybe I'd watch it by myself, you're saying? Yeah. What would be the situation I'd ever do that? Yeah. I, if I had a daughter, I'd watch a real movie about having a daughter. There's thousands of them. This is a terrible Yeah, one. but how many of them have the Fresh Prince? <sighs> Probably a few, honestly. <laughs> He's probably made better movies about having a kid than this. I mean, it's fucking... I'd rather watch After Earth from M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Which, by the way, have you seen After Earth? I have. Me too. Yeah. I saw it in theaters. I'm sure you did. I was like, M. Night Shyamalan and, and Will Smith? How could this go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's how you entered it. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the Will Smith thing, though. One second. Okay. Cool. I have to piss. Now we're almost. Great. <laughs> um... Okay, um, I feel like there are some some notes I'd like to go over, but I think also um, you should give your GGR and overall thoughts on the film without me interrupting you or badgering you while I write a two out of ten on the board. Okay, I mean, I think the reality is that I've given my thoughts on this film numerous times on this podcast, and it's really covered. I think there's no reason to look into it more deeply than it just being a surface-level you know, charming date movie. I found... But don't you expect more from your maker? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I f this is one of the few movies that I can think of that I really enjoy Affleck's performance. I think he handled what he was given and actually used, like, you know, facial expressions and, like, acting in a way that I found believable. Um... I, I liked seeing the arc of him starting as this sleazy publicist, super rich, just New York piece of shit, getting brought down to earth and having to grapple with becoming a street sweeper. I, I found that believable, enjoyable to watch. Um, I, I, I kind of you found it believable for a man who is managing Will Smith to end up street sweeping in one year <laughs> with no job. Yeah, I interviewing mean, fifty times and not even getting the lowest level position after being a top exec who made one mistake and it honestly wasn't that bad. I mean, you find that realistic? 
a man who at one point in the movie is hanging out with Madonna. Right. That he would lose his entire career and have no prospects to be laughed out of town over that incident. I mean, I see a world where he had his daughter in his hand. I mean, that's uh, people would it was uh, semi-adorable. It was delightful. I mean, in a world where it's presented where it's Will Smith on the cusp of becoming a movie star, and then... Sure, the joke is great. That is the centerpiece of the whole film, and it works. I'll give it that. That's part of the two. And, like, realistically, when you look at the timeline of the film, what it takes for his career to recover is six years. I find that believable. Uh, yeah. Right. Um... But I, I don't know. I just I just find it generally enjoyable. I liked the pathos of Affleck's character. I liked seeing he's a huge dick. He's a huge dick, but the then the whole time he he gets <laughs> sentimental about his daughter. But Literally. I like the way that you see his his inherent scumbagness come out. In the throughout. last five minutes of the movie, he had to speed at a hundred miles an hour to 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 finally have a, an, an arc in the movie. But he was the, a dick until an hour and 40 minutes. No, of, there's a 50. huge chunk where he's a, he's just like a great dad for the middle of it until the kid, they get into, a, he gets into a fight with a kid, the kid, and then he's a huge fucking dick. So he goes from dick to okay dad to dick. I mean, he's a dick character. It's show, right. it's showing the journey of a of a dude who realistically did not want to have a daughter, was expecting to have his wife raise the entire kid, having to raise a kid. Yeah. And, and, on numerous instances being successful and in numerous instances failing, which is Realistic. not usually what gets shown in terms of parenthood in films. I'll give you that. Like, I... I, I mean, three men and a baby did the same thing, but yeah, I'll give you that. I just, I enjoyed From it. From 25 years I give it. Jersey Girl an 8.5. 8.5? Yeah, I find it very watchable. You know, I was going to think about maybe going to a three on my score, but hearing you go that far, okay. I'm going to stay firmly at a two. Okay, do you to, want... To notify the audience of this podcast to not watch this movie. Okay. I think everyone should watch this movie. <laughs> um, do you do you want to talk about production things, or do you want to... You, yes, said you, yeah. you, you said you had Will Smith things you wanted to talk about. No, I mean, look, the, the, the entire crux of the movie could be boiled down to two minutes, which is just that... Uh, Ben Affleck loses his entire career because he bets on the wrong horse. He essentially gets into a situation where as a publicist to the stars, as a PR guy, whatever his exact job is, I don't remember. He's a publicist. A couple weeks ago. Um, but um, he basically hinges his entire career on on Will Smith not becoming famous two weeks before Armageddon comes out. Now, the, the whole thing for me is that, to me, it feels Armageddon. like... Armageddon. I mean, uh, Armageddon, Independence Day. Right. Sorry, thank you, Dan. Yeah. Um, uh, and and so the whole joke of the film is that he loses his whole career yeah. because he, Will Smith does ultimately become yeah. famous. He, think, he he yells at a crowd. He's in this very stressful situation. He screams at an entire room of reporters call, referring to Will Smith yeah. as uh, a, fresh two, a two-bit TV actor. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so... It, to me, was good to an extent, but also made me feel like the entire movie was set in the 90s solely to make one joke, which I thought was kind of a great flex, but in such a sentimental, stupid But it's not all movie. takes place in the 90s. The beginning takes place in the 90s, then it flashes forward seven years to the current. Right. Okay, so I guess it was to give six years for him to... Yeah. I was trying to figure out the ultimate purpose of it, other yeah. than the Will Smith joke. So, like, yeah, uh, you know, the whole movie, they're alluding to Will Smith and how famous he got, and in contrast to Ben Affleck, who's fallen so far. And at the end of the movie, as Ben Affleck is going on his pivotal interview, he ends up running into Will Smith in the waiting room, and they have a great conversation. It is the best part of the movie. The reveal that Will Smith is in this movie, yeah. even as I was watching it, I thought, no way, no way. No way is he going to be in this. No way. Yeah. And he showed up, and I was like, staggering. Yeah. There's like, also a hilarious interview in between featuring Matt Damon and Jason Lee. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. I didn't think that was... That felt like it was out of a different movie. Jason, but I did I did enjoy it, but it was like more more like mean-spirited shit that I just like... It was it, definitely mean-spirited. Yeah, it was just a movie that had a lot of mean-spirited elements that kept it from being delightful for me. Like... All it really needed to do was maybe, like, tone down Affleck's dick uh, qualities. Like, like I just want to read the extent, just one quote, the extent to which they make Ben Affleck look like a bad guy in this movie. <laughs> um, especially when he's interacting with Jennifer Lopez uh, in the first ten minutes of the film, who is just, like, beyond gorgeous. So, like, and he's just being such an asshole to her. Like, one of the first lines of dialogue in the movie... Um, 
Ben is like guilting Jennifer Lopez uh, about the dishes. He's like, he's like, okay, I'll just sit here and do the dishes. I cooked. Why not clean too? And it was just like, <laughs> you fucking dick. Like, you should be eating fucking raw sushi off this woman. Now our, our listeners should know that the Dan is coming from a perspective where he cooks and cleans every night. <laughs> right, okay, maybe that's affected me here. <laughs> it's funny because all the rest of my notes are about cooking and cleaning. <laughs> Uh, ben Affleck screaming at his pregnant girlfriend multiple times, screaming at hospital workers, screaming at his clients, his underlings, his family. Everyone I, I thought his scene the with the hospital worker was hilarious, where the woman's being super calm, and he's just like, "Why are you being so combative?" Like, so like I watched that and was like, "This is frustrating to watch. I this love. makes me mad to watch someone act like this." He gets J Lo, and he's like, "Here's this nurse who's being mean to me." I mean, Ben Affleck is like borderline Larry David in the first twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. He's been doing one social faux pas after another. It's insane to believe he got anywhere as far as he did the way he's treating everyone around him um uh, so they haven't you know and then a lot of the lines of dialogue in this movie like dropped out of being delightful and i again don't like it because the tone was all over the place there's a conversation between ben affleck and jennifer lopez where um jennifer lopez um they're talking about going to like a party where there's all these socialites people that uh, ben Affleck works with who are assumedly pop stars and blah 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 um, and she's like <laughs> he's like honey you don't want to go they're skinny because they're coked out whores and she goes I want to be a coked out whore yeah. and I was like oh Kevin you're so yeah, funny he's like, you can be you can be, you're, you can be a coked out coked out whore that's like how Kevin and his daughter talk <laughs> she's, like, she's like, but dad, I want to sure. go to the party. And he's like, you don't want to go to that party. It's all coked out whores. And she's like, I want to be a coked out whore. And he's like, high five, man. I feel, like, high five. <laughs> I feel like that conversation surely happened between Kevin and his wife when yeah. she was pregnant. And his daughter, who is his bride wife, most likely. Some creepy sex liberal cult in California. Jesus um, Christ. I have a note that says, is Ben Affleck playing Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for the record, Ben Affleck is in no way predatory in this movie. This movie had the most cliche moment in it I think I've seen from its time era. It blew my mind in the level to which it it, it was like honestly so gay. It blew my mind. Uh, when Ben Affleck's wife, uh, Jennifer Lopez, dies in childbirth um, and we are uh, told what to feel about that because Amy Mann... Uh, <laughs> comes over the soundtrack as Ben Affleck breaks down crying, and I was like, "Ooh, somebody watched Magnolia!" Like fun, yeah. um, which is which, I couldn't believe it. It was like watching a scene out of like not another teen movie. Which contextually, like at the time, Kevin Smith was feuding with Paul Thomas Anderson over Magnolia. How so? Uh, Kevin Smith had oh, made no, some very, make me hate Kevin Smith some more. very disparaging comments on Magnolia Skip in it. the press. I don't want to know. It. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want even want to hear it. Like. Kevin Smith cries at Marvel trailers, I know, Dan. Tra I know, not even the movie, trailers. And, so this is a man that I do not trust. I'm going to get into more that reflects this, but yeah, Kevin Smith had shit all over Paul Thomas Anderson in the press over Magnolia. Right. And they were having they were having a very one-sided feud where basically where Kevin one person's a genius. Yeah, and where, Kev, sucks. where Kevin Smith assumed that they were feuding, so he just kind of doubled down and kept shitting on Magnolia. <sighs> I know what that feels. And like. And then they ended up in a situation. This uh, this story can be t heard in the first evening with Kevin Smith DVD, mm -hmm. where uh, Kevin Smith was getting his physical for this movie mm. and ends up in the same waiting room with Paul Thomas Anderson, who was getting his physical for Punch oh, Drunk Love. Okay, so that's what the Will Smith scene is based on, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Fun. That's fun. All right, yeah. Dan, um, I think we've talked enough about this movie. Do you want to talk at, at all about the production of this yeah, film? Yeah, there's only really one thing that I really want to get into, because okay. I, I find it such a mind-blowing piece of movie trivia. Now, I had requested that you try to avoid reading any of the credits. Were you successful in that? Yeah. Okay. So, do you have any idea who this movie, what this, who this movie was shot by? Who the, the cinema, Who the cinematographer was? Deacons? Okay, no. So this movie was shot by Vilmos Zygmunt. Why? So, or how? Yeah, so now for, for our listeners, Vilmos Zygmunt is one of the most famous, innovative cinematographers of all time. Here's was a, this like his final movie or something? Here, here, here's a quick <laughs> list of movies that Vilmos Zygmunt shot. Okay. Uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, where he literally invented a new film exposure technique. Sure. The Long Goodbye. From Robert Altman. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for which Never he won an Oscar. Uh, Scarecrow, for which he won a Palme d'Or. Uh, Deer Hunter, Deliverance, The Last Waltz, The Witches of Eastwick, 
These all sound like terrible movies. This is uh, some of the greatest movies. Well, yeah, this is the elite of the elite directors of photography. So how do you stumble into this mess? I don't know, but the hilarious part about it <laughs> is that Kevin Smith and him feuded greatly throughout it. And after the movie wrapped, Kevin Smith wrote numerous blog posts shitting all over him, freaking out, saying that he was restricting him and forcing him to do all this shit. Um, He threw a total temper tantrum, which, albeit recently on a podcast, he did a retrospective where he admitted that he was just really upset that... um, that he would and described himself as being a bitch because Vilmos was pushing him out of his comfort zone. He didn't want to move the camera so much. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay. I mean, that's about it. It's just mind blowing to that's me that that's who shot this film. I'm trying to think back on it. it. Didn't really look like much, but I guess I guess the Sweeney Todd scene was well lit. <laughs> imagine imagine being Vilmo Zygmunt and working with and Kevin ge- Smith and getting a ass- and getting assigned to this film <laughs> and having to deal with Kevin Smith as a director. This movie felt like a feature length DVD extra for a different Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. Um, just uh, just imagine being on set seeing Kevin Smith and Vilmo Zygmunt together as peers. <laughs> Any other fantastic facts about this one that's going to sway me up to a three? No, I mean, there's no, there's nothing more fantastic than the fact that this movie was shot by one of <laughs> the, the guy best... guy who made Deliverance. Yeah, the best <laughs> cinematographers of all time. And he, yeah. he made very few films after that. <laughs> well, you know, this one, I think he really expressed the last of his Which is on. really going to bring us to a parallel when we talk into the, the people who made Gigli. Yeah, I saw Martin Brest was the name, and I can't, I didn't look him up. That was the only name I saw because I'm trying to avoid it. Okay. But I remember that being a really big name. Yeah, wait till um, I tell you his pedigree. I feel like he did maybe some kind of classic comedies and or something in the 80s. Am okay. I wrong? Am I totally off? No, we'll get there. I'm totally guessing. We'll, we'll get there. I, ah, it's killing me. It's like, I want to say just, that. Just, just save it. Save it. Save All right, okay. So, um... I think we've talked about uh, at length at, <laughs> that anyone's talked about Jersey Girl. Dan, do you have any final thoughts you want to shell out before we head out? Um, I believe that anyone who's looking for a nice date movie. Sure. And, or wants to Honey, see. You want to see poop on a vi- is, baby's vagina tonight? Cu- oh, yeah, that would be delightful. It's curious about <laughs> Kevin Smith making something not like what he normally makes. Uh-huh. And wants to see what I find to be a very bizarre decline in quality after this movie. Like, from who? From Kevin. Like, outside of the couple that we know we love. Like, the fact that the person who made this movie... Like, you compared it to Yoga Hosers often, but there's... No, there's, there's, no, there's no comparison to be made there. Like, I'm not Yoga Hosers looks like it was made... Like by a commercial. Well, I mean, that's like, like literally. Well, this movie, I'm assuming, like, was shot on film. You know what I mean? Like this. This is from the last great Miramax era, and I literally have as my first note, Dan. This is Kevin Smith right before the rubber band finally snapped. That's my first note. Right. And that was from the opening credits. <laughs> I already knew, like, and, and and it sucks because, like, I could see what he was trying to do, and he ended up doing it better. I would say in Clerks 2 and Reboot. I'd say Reboot with the daughter stuff because honestly the daughter stuff is some of the only shit that worked in Reboot and I think it worked for me because it wasn't Kevin Smith it was like onto Jay. You know what I mean? Like it was I don't agree with that at all. I thought the daughter relationship in Reboot was harrowing. <laughs> well, I mean everything to me in Reboot was pretty much harrowing. Like I kind of want to rewatch this it. Felt, so bad. This felt um, much more sentimental and joyful to me than than yeah, Reboot. Yeah, I guess so it's just like he this was yeah this was his moment i mean he had like this movie cost money i mean oh yeah i was looking at the sets i'm looking at um a lot of what they put into it and i mean it, it wasn't they had to pay vilma zygmunt but yeah this is the end of like this is one of the last movies <laughs> in my opinion before like when everything went straight to, to uh just digital filmmaking i mean everything I'm just so unnerved by digital filmmaking. Like that, oh, I could yeah. go on. I could do an entire episode about just movies that would have benefited to be shot on film. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, it sucks because I think that if he would have had a good movie here, no matter what it was, I'm not saying any version of this would have been good. I'm saying this was his shot to take the last of Harvey Weinstein's money and make something decent. 
And it's yeah, he, he you know, this it's a sucks. good movie. Yeah, this sucks. I, uh, the only other th- <laughs> the only other thing I want to say about it is more on a personal note of yeah. a personal impact this movie had on me. Oh, here we it's go. It's deeply harrowing. This is about to be based. <laughs> so fuck. um, so the final scene of this movie features the hit track uh, "Let My Love Open the Door" by Pete Townsend. Mm. Um, Love that song. Yeah, great song. Classic song. Great song. Great um, stuff. When I was very here we go in the in the in the height of my Kevin Smith fandom, Get the tissue which was about out. freshman year of high school, um, I was listening to that album a lot. And at one point, I got mono, like a very very bad case of mono. I was stuck in my bed for three weeks um, using the great classic <laughs> best audio interface in history, Winamp. Oh my god, okay. And um, I had a playlist going, and Let My Love Open the Door was the final song. And I was in bed, home alone, because my dad was working. And Let My Love Open the Door got stuck. My computer glitched and it got stuck on repeat while I was like in a feverish, like four hour long sleep situation. And I was too weak from having been bedridden for, th- for three and a half weeks to get up and go across the room to turn the song off. Um, I ended up actually needing steroids just to rebuild the muscle in my leg to get legs to get up. Um, and I was stuck in this room listening to My Love Open the Door for hours and hours and hours while going in and out of fever dreams. So now every time I watch this movie, I forget that that's the final scene and I have this conditioned response <laughs> that the second the intro to that song starts, I get violently nauseous. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, this will be a very easy moment in um, our editor's soundtrack choice moments here. <laughs> um, I want to lead this episode out with My Love Open the Door. It's going to be playing in the background. Um, Dan, this was very enjoyable. I do want to say the, the music of uh, Jersey Girl, awful. I don't know if it's the same <laughs> composer of Reboot, or not Reboot, um, Strike, Strike Back. Back. Was it? No. You're positive. Yes. We don't have to look that up. We don't. Because I didn't look it up because you told me to look nothing up. Yeah. It was the same kind of music where it's like... <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, I don't agree horrible. with it. Um, just from end to end, I hated the soundtrack. And what's funny is... Uh, I was devising, like, the Gigli versus Jersey Girl, like, accolades list thing that we're abandoning that... Um, uh, best music I figured was going to be a shoe in but honestly both of these movies fucking terrible soundtrack the music in Gigli is it could have been pl- played by the same person no. I swear to god no no they, I thought they were both equally as terrible and I wish I devised a segment where I took a sound bite from both and made you like choose I could un- which un- was which yeah I could undoubtedly do that <laughs> oh, we'll see because I did it <laughs> did you? no I didn't oh, that, that would have been really the cool. music to Gigli was fucked um, yeah. Uh, and also, final note was like the CGI View Askew logo. Oh, I love that. In the beginning, I was over like, that I was, music. I was like, we've entered the future. I was like, we've entered the garbage. <laughs> 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 All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for listening to the Movie Blues podcast. As always, uh, I am your host, and that is Dan Endon. And we will see you guys next week for our review of Jiggly. Yeah, and this was quite literally a film about a baby. (laughs) Your best work. (laughs) That's your best work. Flawless.